This week we have James Murray, known to millions of people as Murr, star of TV's Impractical Jokers, on our podcast talking about his new book, The Stowaway, about a serial killer aboard a cruise ship, and we get a staggering admission from Murr. I love the psychological part, especially of law enforcement, of interviewing people, of figuring things out, and I liked her approach to that. Um, was this based on any uh, things that you might have done in your childhood that you want to talk about and contest to <laughs> on a podcast that Steve and I can help you work through right now, Mer? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, we might have to get a beer or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's not. It's just <laughs> it was a quick denial. That was like, a, well, I, 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 you know, I mean, you're hanging in there. Look. I've been naked on TV. I've been thrown out of airplanes. I've, you know, got my, I, I, I've been mortified on TV for 11 years. So there's lots of things I might, you know, be still be dealing with in my life. I'm trying to work through it on my own, you know? Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I appreciate the offer for, for, for psychological help, gentlemen. Welcome to this special episode of Game of Crimes. This week on Game of Crimes, I feel like doing an announcer thing because this is going to be <laughs> so cool. We have folks. I mean, this is a little standard deviation. Before we get started, though, I'm Morgan. I'm Murph. Yes, he is literally my partner in crime here. We're so excited. We for, kind of forgot our standard intro because this last Thursday, th this came about very quickly. We were able to get the man, James Murray. You guys all know him as Murr, the star of TV's Impractical Jokers, got his movie, The Misery Index. Well, one of the things I didn't realize is how accomplished he was as an author, Steve, and guess what? What? We got, we got to read his book before anybody else, except maybe his agent or a couple editors. Yeah, but, I mean, we're real people. They're not. That's just business for them. We're fans. Yes, and, and we got it first. So, hey, guys, <laughs> before we get into this episode, let's just get a couple things you know, out of the way. Uh, go to any place that gives ratings, you know, give us the ratings, give us five stars, help us get this episode out there. People are going to love this. This guy is so real. Not is it, He's not just funny. He's genuinely funny. Mm -hmm. And so that's the great thing. So go and head on over to our website. We've got merch up there now. So gameofcrimespodcast.com. We've got new merchandise out there. We've got um, our mailing list. This is how we notify you of special events. Like maybe, you know, maybe we'll do something with Murr. I can't promise anything, but he did give us his number and said, hey, let's meet up for lunch. And I don't know if that's the equivalent of saying, have your people call my people, but still. <laughs> or it's just a nice way of saying, kiss off, guys. It's it good talking to you. Once was enough. We don't need to redo yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, well, no, he, he'll be back. He'll be back. Trust me. And guys, also, head on over to Patreon. Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We have a ton of great stuff. In fact, right before we got started, uh, Murph and I were talking about the case of the month. He's got one this time that we're going to do, and we'll have it out to you on Monday the 20th. So this is going to be great stuff. you got to get there. We've got other cases of the month. We've got Q&A. We've got our live stream. I mean, this is just chock full of the good stuff above and beyond what we do on the podcast. So make sure you get over there. Also, if you just want to do a one-time donation, just hit us up at paypal.com. Use our email, gameofcrimespodcast at gmail.com or paypal.me slash gameofcrimes, whatever it makes it easier for you to support the show. Now, quick disclaimer. This is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. We take the story seriously. But we never, never takes ourselves serious. And that's what makes it so much fun, Morgan. 
And that's what this episode, there is no taking it serious about no. it. <laughs> and this guy, what a hoot, man. I, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know him. I've never seen Impractical Jokers, but what a great guy. He's, you talk to him, it's like you've known him all your life. It's a story of persistence. But Steve, before we get into that. Uh-oh. Oh, Before no. we get into that, guess <laughs> that what time? time it is. Is it that time again? <laughs> it is time for that. Get ready. It's time for Small, Small Town, Town Police, Police Blotters. Yeah. All right, guys, we've got some stories coming in, and guess what? Some of these are going to be funny. We've got some stuff teed up for our next episode we got from some of you fans out there. Get us in your stuff, and you know what? We may do something to where if we pick out your story and highlight it, Murph, I'm thinking maybe we make a command decision. We might even send them a T-shirt. Oh, I you know, think it'd be featured, cool. If you're featured on Small Town Police Blotter, maybe we'll do a t-shirt. Anyway, Steve, guess what? What? A 29-year-old Marshfield woman was cited at 12.50 p.m. Tuesday for disorderly conduct within the 1200 block of South Chestnut Avenue. The woman said she was yelling and screaming at her neighbor because their dog was barking and slamming doors. Wow, that's a talented dog. You know, the dog's probably barking at her bitchy ass. What's she out there fussing at the dog for? <laughs> yeah, you know... Uh, what are you going to do? Arrest the dog? Let me interview the dog. Hey, but we do have we do have another animal story coming up in just a second. But but this, wait, this is probably just one bitch talking to another bitch, isn't it? Oh, dude, oh. Oh, you are going to get us in so much trouble. Oh my god, <laughs> I love you guys. Oh my god, you've had your coffee already this morning, haven't have. you? Mm-hmm. Oh, hot test. Well, speaking of staying along the theme with women, um, a 34 year old Mount Pleasant man was arrested Wednesday and lodged at the Isabella County Jail for domestic assault for pulling the arm of a woman and hitting her in the head with a submarine sandwich. Wow, is that is that the equivalent of pull my finger? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> but a submarine. I mean, look, domestic violence is not a funny thing, and these guys. No, but, not at all. But now, but you know, but to hit somebody in the head with a submarine sandwich. I mean, come on, dude. Lay first of all, lay off. Well, I bet this douche nugget was the one featured in this next story because mm. a would-be thief, gas thief, gets a real mouthful, Steve. And guess what? Oh. A man who tried to siphon gas from a motorhome oh. got a mouthful of stewage instead, police said. Oh. <laughs> police got an early morning call last week from the owners of a vehicle parked on a street. When officers arrived, they found sewage and what looked like vomit on the ground. Oh. Nearby, they found a man curled up ill next to a car. The man admitted he was trying to snitch some gas and plugged his hose into the motorhome sewage tank by mistake. Oh. The motorhome owner... Uh, declined to press charges at calling it the best laugh he's ever had. Oh my gosh! You know what? That just brings back uh, visions of the uh, Christmas vacation with Chevy Chase. Yeah, Randy Quaid and his, yeah. and his brother-in-law hey, shows up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you siphon gas, not sewage, right? Oh my gosh! Boy, talk about karma. Uh, well, speaking of that, this is this is a bad animal story. A man reported that a squirrel was running in circles on Davis Drive and was not sure if it had been sick or hit by a car. An officer responded, and as he drove on the street, he ran over the squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) It took care of the problem, didn't it? (laughs) I mean, why would you put this in the paper? I mean, squirrels squirrels are little evil terrorists anyway. I, I, you know... They just, they eat, several of my neighbors, you know, a couple of them have had to hit the cars towed because the squirrels have gone up there and ate through some of the lines. So those dirty little things. But hey, you know, Steve, final thing here. What? What year was it? And this (laughs) one is a good one. I went back in the archives of history. So Steve, Mm -hmm. you have to tell me, was this April 7th, 1799? 
1789 or 1779. Ah, oh, I tricked you up this time. I went backwards. It is from the Observer in Greater London, England. Okay. April 7th. Now you have to figure out which year. So the Committee of Congress in America to whom the petitions against the alien and sedition laws were referred have reported that those laws were uh, conformable to the Constitution and area to support the state. However, the New York papers state that a cartman employed to convey some articles to the Chesterfield British packet at that city by negligence threw part of the load at the, in the river. And when the ship steward refusing to pay him the 12 pounds the required fare, he obtained a warrant to arrest him. Captain Jones! who commanded the packet, refused to admit the constable to execute the warrant on which an order was made by the police for his arrest. The account adds that Captain Jones ordered his colors to be struck and the mail thrown overboard before he went to the magistrate, by whom he was immediately liberated when he set off to relate his case to the British Prime Minister at Philadelphia. This one I did. I went back in the archives. Oh, so, Steve, was it April 7th, 1799, 1789, or 1779? It's got to be 79, right? 1779. We just had our independence in 1776. Yeah, 1779. Well, Steve, the war was still going on, so we had <laughs> we declared our independence. No, it was, uh, yeah, you got it wrong. April 7th, 1799. Dang, 20 years later, they're still bitching about the mail? Oh, boy. Well, then we have the War of 1812, and shit goes to hell in a handbasket there, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> All right, so I'm like two for what, 15 now? Yeah, you're two for 15. You know, hey, yeah, you got a better record than uh, the Cubs. Hey, you um, know what? <laughs> do, do, do. <laughs> You know how all the Cubby fans are going to call us. I know. Hey, you know what? They might as well have something to bitch about. They've got, you know, the, the season. Anyway, <laughs> hey, we, we want to dive into this, though, because, you know, we're, we're not that we're rushing things, but we do. We have this is going to be great because this guy, I mean, really, you know, it was so cool. Our agents got together and this guy said, hey, I'd like to be on their podcast, which yeah. tells you, hey, we're going to be somebody. So. We moved heaven and earth. I mean, and the, the bad part was we were both traveling at the same time. We weren't at our regular home offices. So I'm yep. carrying equipment, you know, which we'll talk about. You're down in Florida, you know, getting ready to buy a house, which we can. Now, can we officially announce? Is it official yet? Uh, they haven't accepted the contract, but we they have until COB today to, to say yes. And that's the only option they have. Well, we'll see. Maybe maybe by the time we have another episode, Murph will be uh, homeless in Virginia and moving to Florida. It's getting close. It's getting close. You know, thankfully, our daughter lives here. I can come and hang out in their garage. Yeah, not for very long, though. <laughs> you <laughs> well, weep can get poison ivy all over your legs again. Her husband might have asked me if we plan on getting an apartment down here when, before our house is ready. So <laughs> I got the message. Yeah, well, let's dive, let's dive into this real quick, too, because um, this is so cool. I mean, I, I never realized how accomplished James Murray was. Everybody knows him as Murr, to his millions of fans. And literally, he's got millions of fans out there. TV's Impractical Jokers, number one show on true TV for the last 11 years. Got a movie out there, star of uh, The Misery Index on TBS. Uh, but I didn't realize, Steve, like you're saying, I didn't realize he had written a lot of these books. He started off writing sci-fi, and then, he, you know, so our tagline is evil is coming. Well, when you read The Stowaway, evil is coming, and it's called The Stowaway. I mean, this was a good thriller book about a serial killer on board a cruise line. If you never want to, if you want to have an excuse never to take a cruise, this is the book. Oh, let me tell you, before I ever get on a ship again, this is in the back of my mind. It was I was reading it on the airplane down here to Orlando, and and I haven't read the whole book yet. That's why I ask you guys not to spoil it for me, but uh, I still picked up. It sounds like there's a surprise ending, so I'll be reading the rest on the way back to D.C. today. Oh, you will, man. And and it was so, like I said, you know, Murr was genuinely authentic. You know, And this was a guy, too, a lot of people don't realize— 
people look at a lot of these folks on TV and you know got books and stuff. They go, oh, you've just always been successful. No, they don't realize how many times they failed. How many times we were talking about Stephen King in his book called The Art of the Craft, he writes about writing. His book, Carrie, that launched him into stardom was turned down by 50 different publishers. 50. Well, that's just amazing because, I mean, you look at, I, I watched a couple episodes of, uh, or some, some of the skits from uh, Impractical Jokers before we did the interview, so I'd have a little background. And you look at these guys and you think, what the hell's wrong? This is some of the dumbest stuff I've seen. It's hilarious. I'm surprised the one I watched where he went to the gym and, and uh, said something to that big bodybuilder. I'm surprised I got to pick him up, break him over his knee. But then you get to talking to him. Man, he graduated from Georgetown University. That's not like going to the local community college, you know? No, that's like driving a BMW off the cliff every year in terms of tuition. So <laughs> <laughs> so I guess he's now able to either pay off his loans or pay his parents back. I'm not sure which. I'm pretty sure he's been able to pay off his loans. Yeah. He doesn't get those damn calls going, hey, do you want to consolidate? I I don't have student loans. I haven't had student loans for God, I can't tell you. And I still get the calls, you know, <laughs> between that and my uh, auto warranty expiring. You know, oh, when I find you sons of bitches out there, uh, it's on. It's yep. on like Donkey Kong. And we're bringing help. That's right. So Steve, you know, like I said, I think this is great. It's one hour. Uh, we, we, had, we had to make good use of his time. It's an exclusive interview. Nobody else has got this. We got the first one. And the great thing about it, when this episode comes out on Monday, his book comes out on Tuesday, September 21st. So we are like a global premiere. We, we actually take credit. We're going to launch this guy even into another level of stardom because of our podcast. We're gonna, we told him we promised him all 18 of our followers to listen to him. So you guys pony up now. That's right. So, all right, Steve, this is the fun one. Are you ready to play the biggest game of all, the game of crimes? Ladies and gentlemen, get in, sit down, shut up, and hold on. Bring on Murr. So here we go. Let me and, and sil silliness and comedy are invited. You know, we yes. like the show. <laughs> you got it. Well, and if we had a comedian on the show, that would be great. Um, it would be. <laughs> Somebody maybe has their own TV shows, been in movies, that kind of shit, writes books. And, and hey, how do you want us to call you? You just go by Murr then? Yeah, uh, my friends call me Murr. You guys are my friends. There you go. All, All right, right, we'll call you Murr. And I'm Murr. All right. Apologize for where I am. I'm in my daughter's house in Orlando until I have my <laughs> desk and everything. We'll make it work. Yeah, and I actually took all my equipment. Just so that you know, man, you are important. I have all. I have my mixer and everything. I brought it with me. I'm at a hotel. I appreciate and, it. Right there in the hotel. Oh, yeah. I, I thought I was going to get stopped going through uh, customs, but I or I mean through uh, TSA, but I didn't. So yeah, what it is, he's in one of his bedrooms at a whorehouse he runs. That's what he's doing there. Got it. Yes, yes. I, I heard about those. Well, I got I'm to come management. visit at some point. And, and, and Mer, just for you, <laughs> yeah. I got a special discount. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you a discount. I appreciate that. Yeah, you. If you need any discounts too, I have a coupon code that's good good at all brothels across America. Ooh. Yeah, so just let me know. <laughs> IRS, are you listening? There's an easy way to investigate now. Uh, that's great. That's great. Let's go well, be fun. I'm gonna keep this in. So let's let's dive into this, folks, because this is. This is the fun part. You know, Steve and I are becoming big time now. You know, people are reaching out to us. And so when you've got the guy who's got the most popular show on True TV, 
He's a legend in the comedy field. I mean, <laughs> and I got to tell you this too, pal. The one that I watched recently, I was just catching up on, the one that you did with the guy for April Fool's where you put him in orange jumpsuit and put him talking in front of all the senior citizens like he's doing. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen those things happen and I'm going, oh my God, this is great, man. He's yelling at a bunch of senior citizens and they're looking at him going like, <laughs> what the f I know that this is one of my favorite punishments. Of course, you know, Sal is wearing the blacked out sunglasses, so he has no idea who he's talking to. He knew there was some kind of twist. He never imagined he was in a nursing home, <laughs> you know, trying to scare them straight. Hey, I got to ask one question, though. I saw the one where you walked up to some weightlifter and said something to him about his tattoo. Did you get your ass kicked after that one? <laughs> yeah. I, I did not. Don't under underestimate my frame, guys. I, I, I can hold my own in a fight. Even though I look like a string bean, you know, that was a big boy. Uh, no, it was, that was uh, a big boy. Yeah, that that was a punishment where uh, the, it was a, one of those ideas that's just so simple. You had to go. They they have these gyms in New York City that I'm sure they have in every city that are just muscle guy gyms. You know, it's not like you're it's not like you're uh, at Gold's Gym or you're uh, you know. It's Royd Central. All the guys that have done steroids forever. Absolutely. That's where they go to do lift weights, to do weights. That shows you how much I work out. That's where they go to do weights. <laughs> right. And no, you, li you lift weights, you do drugs. Yeah, that's it. Got it. So, so the, uh, every guy in there had so many tattoos. So the punishment was very simple. They said, Murr, go up to these guys and, uh, pull out of your fanny pack, uh, uh an insult we've written about their tattoos and read it. And uh, I, I did not get my ass handed to me. Thank God. Most of them took it in good stride. You know? hey, well, we got it before we dive into this, because uh, Steve and I both read your book end to end. So just so that you did you did you enjoy uh, it? Yeah, I well, hope we're going to get into it. We have some. Um, we Steve's like, eh, you know, <laughs> no, I only got through about a third of it. As trained investigators, we have a checklist of things we're going to need you to correct before the book okay. goes live. So, OK, it, it has gone live. It comes out on Tuesday. So I'm screwed. Pull it back. I'm sorry. You got to pull it off the shelves. A couple things we got to go over but i will i will. wanted to ask you what is the one joke that you guys pulled that went south just is the worst one ever that you thought i'm gonna die wow uh, gosh there's been so many they they made me uh you mean so many that have gone bad no no so you jokes? know uh <laughs> so many that are right on the edge uh, but our goal is never to upset people our goal is to uh embarrass ourselves and people witness our embarrassment it's kind of like an upside down hidden camera show where the joke's on us you know so that's never truly our goal like we didn't like even though we grew up watching candid camera uh, and loved it we never liked that a fact that people didn't sign up for that they, they don't you know what I mean? So we spun the format on its head and we made ourselves the butt of the joke and the public just witnesses that embarrassment. And that kind of twist on the format uh, was novel enough along with our chemistry to sell a TV show. Uh, but uh, we've come close uh, several times. There was one punishment where they made me go up to strangers and pull cigarettes out of their mouths. Uh, and and <laughs> in New York City, a pack of cigarettes is about 22 bucks, you know, so you just don't do that. <laughs> Um, uh, let's see what other, there was one time we couldn't air on TV. The police got involved, but this is purely, we had no idea. Right. So, we, uh, Sal is working behind the counter at a grocery store and the woman comes up to pay for her groceries. She hands him her credit card, not realizing she's on TV, of course. And I said, Sal, very nonchalantly, take out your cell phone and snap a photo of her credit card before you swipe it. Right. 
Unbeknownst to her, to us rather, she had had her identity stolen about two months earlier. So she lost her mind, started screaming, calling nine nine. She called nine one one on us. Right, <laughs> the cops come. We tell her it's a TV show. She won't have it. She's threatened to sue us. Everything. The cops calm her down. They take her outside. They come back in. And we're like, oh shit, we're we're gonna get busted, right? And the cops come up to us. And they're like, guys, 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 listen. We're huge fans of the show. Can we take photos with you? So we're like, yes, <laughs> we got away with it. That's right. We got away with it. Thank God. Yeah, when they take photos of you and they ask you to look at the camera now face right and hold a little board under you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This way, this way, and that's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to tell you, there was one, there's somebody's trying to, as you guys know too, you guys are just hugely popular. And, and for you folks who have not had access to the internet or no TV, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, you, you got to watch Impractical Jokers. So many people want to copycat you too. And I saw one on YouTube and you want to talk about one going south. This guy dressed up in an orange prison jumpsuit, put handcuffs on the front, these funny ones, and was going up to people saying, hey, I need a ride. And they're filming it from back there. Except one of the guys pulls up and I instantly knew this is going to be bad because the guy I could tell looked just like a cop. Yeah. But that's what he was. He's a deputy. He pulls out his gun. It's like on the ground, on the ground. The guy, no, 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 it's just a joke. I don't care. I don't care. On the ground. And I'm going... That's great. Things, I, I had one of the oh, weirdest encounters I ever had. I used to live in New York City, but now I live in, in Central Jersey with my beautiful wife. Uh, and uh, when I was shot, I was I used to live uh, right on the corner of Wall Street and William Street. So right, I mean, a block away from the stock exchange. And I was on Wall Street, uh, on Broad Street, rather, kind of shopping in a store. And, uh, and I'm in the dressing room getting changed. And two police officers knock on the dressing room door. I open it. And they take me out, still in my boxer shorts, handcuff me in the store with my boxer shorts on, take me out onto Broad Street in front of the stock exchange, like a block down from the stock exchange, and then ask to take a photo with me. <laughs> it was just, they were just pranking me. And I was like, I feel like they violated some kind of rule or law. You know, you guys are more experts than I am. You might know. I feel like they violated some of my civil rights at some point. Hey, that was in New York. I'm telling that you, was in New York City. You didn't get your ass beat. I mean, that's yeah. that's just the way. Like you know better than us. That's life in New York. They pulled me out of a dressing room <laughs> in a clothing store with my pants down and handcuffed me, and then took me out onto Broad Street <laughs> to take a photo. And then they laughed. We took a photo. I sued. I won ten million dollars. No kidding. <laughs> Did you really? Oh, no, I did not. So, of course you not. Got, no, keep up. I'm joking. This. I'm joking. This humor is moving fast, I'm Steve. I know it's early for you. You just got to <laughs> stay with us. Hey, so let's kind of let's kind of. We've only got you for a short time because you are a busy man. So let's kind of dive in. Look, um, you've got obviously an awesome TV. You guys do comedy, but in 2018, you got this idea that hey, I want to write a book, and the first one was Awaken. What possessed you after doing TV and doing comedy that now you wanted to get into? Because we're going to talk about, whoops, we're going to talk about your book called The Stowaway, which like as Steve and I read. Um, but what possessed you to say, hey, I want to do a book now? I'll tell you, it started many, many years ago, long before 2018. Uh, in 2004, uh, you, well, you know, I went to Georgetown. I had a degree in English and, and literature. I always wanted to be a writer as well as be on TV and a comedian. And, uh, and my father had always dreamt of being an author as well. And, uh, uh, you know... And he has uh, a few degrees, uh, a few uh, credits short of a master's in English and always wanted to be a writer, but obviously got drafted and then had to provide for his family. And, uh, and unfortunately, he's at a point in his life now where he couldn't possibly do it. Um, so I, I, I watched that from a distance, always growing up, like watching my father's dream to be an author one day, and he never got to achieve it. Uh, 
and uh and and so it kind of stuck with me and in 2004 um i was uh i i had an idea i was commuting home from the city one day from some bullshit job and i had this idea for a short little horror story and my friend dared me to write it so i wrote it into a a, a short story and he called me up a half hour later and says this is a book you should write this into a book like what happened before this and after this and i thought about it and i was like you know it actually really would be a a, a good book it's about a um these kind of creatures that have uh, existed for long before humanity living underground and they've kind of kept their separate ways. They've evolved differently from the creatures from us on the planet, rather uh, in, in entirely separate kind of species living on the planet that we have no idea about. Uh, but now as humans have dug deeper and deeper into the earth uh, with these mega uh, super tall structures and so, so on and so forth, we've started to breach their nests and uh, you can't have two apex predators on the planet. Something's got to give. Right. And what I liked about this idea was uh, in the way the awaken trilogy, the creatures are smarter than us. They evolve quicker than us. Uh, you know, so I, I liked having a villain like that. So, uh, so I spent a year on a dare writing a book and I had never written a book before. It was much harder than I thought it would be, uh, but I enjoyed the process. And at the end of the year, I, I thought I could send it in. I had a great query letter that I sent it to, out to publishers with a really cool hook on it. Uh, and I got a lot of, a lot of responses from publishers on the query letter, but then they, I would send the, uh, envelope. Uh, in and I did not have an agent or manager. I had no literary agent or something like that. I had no connections. The guys and I have uh, our regular guys from uh, we just have been friends for 32 years since high school. Uh, and uh, and at the end of a year of writing a novel that I thought was really good and compelling, uh, a kind of an action packed thriller, I couldn't get a single publisher to read the manuscript. Because I had no connections, no agent, no no lawyer, uh, so it sat on my computer for fifteen years unread, wow, except by my mother, <laughs> except by my mother and Q on the TV show, and that's it. And they both loved it, but my mom, my mom has to love it, right? <laughs> anyway, so many many years later, uh, in like 2017, the guys said, "You know, Murr, why don't you do something with that book?" And I said, "You know, I should I should revisit it." I opened it back up on my computer, I read it, I was like, "Holy shit, this is great." So I sent it into uh, HarperCollins, but now, of course, Impractical Jokers and our fan base and so on and so forth. They immediately bought the trilogy. Uh, the first book did really well. Uh, the trilogy did well. And it led to just this... And, and, and when the first book came out, that's how I met my wife. So they literally, a choice from 2004 changed my life now. And, uh, and it led to... Um, now we have eight books coming out. So... Uh, after the Awakened trilogy uh, uh, last year, Don't Move came out, which is being made into a movie. It's around here somewhere above me. And then uh, and the Stowaway uh, comes out next Tuesday in stores. And then next year, I have three books coming out that are uh, like children's books, uh, and, like uh, sci-fi, action, adventure, children's books called Area 51 Interns. Oh, cool. Uh, cool. And, then, uh, and then more to come. Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun book. And then more to come after that. We have lots of ideas. So it's, it's just been a lot of fun. I, I enjoy the process and I enjoy selling over the books and i enjoy how it affects people i enjoy most of all developing them into tv and movies you know well you guys you guys know you know you you have that experience too so well not like you when when you were coming out of georgetown did you ever envision 
that your career would take off in all these different directions like it has? I mean, from your TV shows to your movie appearances to your comedy act to now being a published author, a successful published author? No, you know, it, it took a long time to get there. Uh, you know, it took us uh, 11 years to get on TV with many failures along the way. We failed far more than we succeeded. And uh, Jokers was our third TV show. The first one was a sketch comedy show. We sold Spike TV. We shot a pilot, didn't go to series. And we sold an improv comedy show to A&E, shot a pilot, didn't go to series. And so there were so many uh, forks of the road along the way where uh, it could have gone wrong or not gone at all. When we sold Jokers, we had two different choices. True TV, which wanted us on the show, or MTV, which wanted the show but not <laughs> us because we were too old. For, we, were, we were too old for TV, they oh, said. Thank you very much. Here's you know, I'm a you. 35. I, yeah, I'm 45 now, but... Back then, I was 35 years old, and MTV told us we were too old for TV. Well, I was like, you kidding me? And MTV's got less than a million viewers now. Maybe they ought to rethink their strategy. Yeah, so, yeah. Hey, but, but, but that brings up so, a really interesting point, too, because all of us, I mean, Steve's got a book out. I've done some, I'm actually a frustrated author, too. It's one of those things you want to, you know, I think a lot of people want to write a book, but I tell you, I wrote, uh, or I read Stephen King's uh, book called The Art of the Craft. He got 50 rejection letters for his novel, Carrie, I think. Yeah, it's it's crazy, right? It's crazy. It's the persistence. You got to have the persistence. That's it. I, I absolutely agree with that. It's uh, I don't. The thing I would say is, you know, I worked in uh, TV development for a decade. I ran development for a TV company, the actual company that makes Impractical Jokers. And when the guys and I created the show, that's how we pitched and sold the show through my TV development job. And what I always used to say is, that I don't give a shit about the ninety nine networks that pass on, a, on an idea. I only care about the one that wants the idea. You know what I mean? So you just need one. So I think you have to get through. And then my, one of the best bosses I ever had, uh, she used to make me pitch 25 new TV show ideas every Friday. And her, and it's just crazy. So I'd be up all night on Thursday, you know, coming up with ideas and everything from scripted to reality to docu series to docu soaps, what have you. And uh, and her idea was the theory is sound. Her idea was this: the first nine hundred ninety nine ideas you have are shit. You have to get to the thousandth idea in your head to come up with something that is actually somewhat novel and and unique and and twist things in a way that hasn't been done. And that's the one that will succeed. You just have to get through all this other failure first. And I, I think that's absolutely right. Well, you said you had a shit job. I'm sorry. You said you had a shit job. What was that shit job on Broad Street that you said you were, you had for a while? Oh, that was long before TV development. That was, I think it was a temp, <laughs> you know, I think I was temping, uh, you know, because I didn't, uh, uh, yeah, I guess I was temping probably. I didn't want to take a job. at something I didn't like doing. I tried making movies as in a work. I didn't want to become an, I didn't want to like audition for things, you know, the guys and I are not like, that's not our skill set. Our skill set is comedy. And we, we just kind of, I think we, if I knew now what I, if I knew then what I know now, I, I, I think we would have gotten on TV 10 years earlier when we could have made it on MTV. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then yeah. you would have aged out. Don't you, don't you love looking back at those people that reject you and go, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, look at me now. <laughs> 
they, they weren't wrong. Like I, my, my hair has disappeared over the past. <laughs> I, I, I've, I, we've all gotten older, fatter, balder on TV in the past. We've grown up with America. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's true. That's but that's, true. But that's the authenticity, though, and, and that's what um, I, I think people like. People like you know, and obviously you guys did some unique things around COVID too, because you, you created some shows, you know, to keep people entertained. And look, I think people were looking for. I hate using this over in these dark and troubled times, you know, and everybody's got that. But look, I think people were, it's kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. People need human contact. And when you don't have that, things start getting dark. And I think people turn to comedy. They want they want just a suspension of reality for a little bit. Just entertain me, make me laugh, you know? And, and I think that's one of the things you guys did well was you poked fun at yourself, not at other people. And I think that's the distinction. Yeah, I, I've always considered Jokers to be like a, an island of positivity in an otherwise very cynical world. I, I think people look to us to forget about uh, the day. Uh, it remind, I, the, the biggest compliments I think we get are when families say they watch the show together. So the kids, it's the one show they agree on kids and the parents and the, grandkids, the grandparents kind of sit down at dinner time to watch the show. I consider that the utmost compliment. Uh, and, and I think our job is just to kind of make you, it's like the old days when you'd come home and you'd turn on the TV and you watch, I love Lucy and you just enjoy it for a half hour. You know, it's just, I think there's something, um, kind of, uh, old school about the show in that way. I think we remind people of, of their childhood when things used to be better, when their families were together or what have you. And, uh, I, I take that very personally too. Uh, I think we all do. I think that's why the show still remains good and relevant because, um, uh, we did not get on TV till we were 35. You know, we've been on TV for 11 years now and, um, and, and there, a l much more of our lives were failures than successes. So we don't take anything, any of this for granted. Every day I'm like, I can't believe I still get to do this for a living. And I can't believe I'm still dealing with my best friends. And I can't believe people still enjoy it and we're affecting their lives for the better. It's really kind of a, I don't know, there's so many cool things like, like you asked before about the, every, the range of things we're doing. Uh, man, it doesn't escape me how amazing that is and how unique it is, you know? Um, because I think that's the ultimately what everybody wants in their life is to feel like, uh, to feel appreciated and to feel like you're doing good work and you're creative with your work and to feel a uh, personal responsibility for your work and to feel like, I, just, I found it very satisfying to, to, when we get all these letters that we're helping people out. Uh, and ultimately we know at the end of the day, all of this is possible. My books are possible solely because of a fan base. It's because of the work that we do and, and that they like it and that hopefully we continue to do, do good work that we, that, uh, that they respond and they are, uh, as amazing as they are. So I don't know. It's just a super cool position to be in. There you go. Well, you know, the, your, your theory, the way that you guys have, have stuck with this, your stick to itiveness with going through the failures but not giving up that falls right in line with you know with what morgan and i preach and a friend of ours marcus luttrell um you know the uh, former military operator his his motto is never give up and that falls in line yeah. right with you guys because if you'd gotten discouraged and it is discouraging i mean we've been on this road a couple times and well more than a couple times but you know here we are talking to james murray today so yeah i think we're doing pretty good now <laughs> the merman yeah but uh, i mean it's believe it or not you're falling right in line with the way we think here that we never Murph, morgan and murr here we go we're ready to go 
Hey, brother, there's a new there's a new TV show. Hey, we're yeah. gonna take we'll take we'll take on um you know Eminem. So you know you gotta watch Eminem and M. So <laughs> hey, um, so one thing that interested us, and this is why it made it a good fit. Um, your folks reached out to us. We got to say first of all, thank you to your folks over there that reached out to us. We all use UTA in, in some fashion and said, hey, you wanted to be on our podcast. You know, we stick around. You know, the whole. Th- theme of Game of Crimes is really, it's it's the stories told by the people who live them. And this is a little bit of a departure for us, but we said yes to it for one reason. We're attention whores. You've got a big audience. And we're, <laughs> and we're honest. You know, and yeah. we're honest. But the other thing, though, too, is uh, based on our backgrounds, you know, um, and I think we, we told Nicole and we were talking earlier, I'd been through the original training by the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit, the, the VICAP program, the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. Steve, you know, with DEA, you know, hunting down people. And so when they said, hey, it's about the stowaway, is about a serial killer. And then I saw the guy's name at the beginning of the book, Wyatt Butler. So I came from Kansas. And when I was there, we had BTK going on at the time. And actually, one of my former students is one of the people that helped catch Dennis Rader. So I was thinking, Wyatt Butler, Dennis Rader, twisted, very, you know, the, the way you describe him is he's very, it's got to be logical. The world has to fit together. He is, uh, if you get things that are illogical, it drives him much. And I don't know if you knew this, and we're going to talk about what you research, but Dennis Rader was very much the same way too. He was, and actually one of the people out of my state patrol class is now the chief of police in Park City where Dennis Rader was a code enforcement officer. He was the type of guy that would come out, if your grass was two inches and a quarter high, yep, yep. he'd write you up. You know, it had to be that precision. And so I like the way you started approaching this. So let's talk about your upcoming number one bestseller, thanks to our <laughs> podcast. Yeah, baby. Yes. Um, we're going to get you a couple, three extra sales. I guarantee you that. You know. <laughs> yes, I'll take it. That's what we needed. That's what we needed to hit the New York Times. Three more. Three, three sales, man. Three sales from yeah. us. So, but we're yeah. gonna we're gonna have this all other. So let's talk about you had you had books about bugs. Now you're writing a book about a creep. How yeah. did you go from bugs to creep? And what made you decide that? You know, hey, let's let's write a story about a serial killer. You yeah. know, and uh, kids, and you know, uh, I mean, it's the stuff that keeps you awake at night. And just before you, just before you start, Mur, I haven't finished the book yet, so don't run it for me here. Okay, okay, <laughs> we're not going to ruin it for the millions of people listening right. either. So right. we we won't ruin it. We won't ruin it. It'll keep you guessing to the very end. Yeah, but uh, I, I will. I, okay, this will be a somewhat spoiler free i won't hit the ending but uh i'll go otherwise so uh you know i i I think we just keep evolving in what we like to write darren and i write whatever we enjoy right the the idea the idea is what matters it's i don't care what genre we write in as long as we love the idea so the awakened trilogy was a sci-fi thriller monster book essentially don't move is a pure horror we wanted to take our stab at just a pure horror uh, kind of like a low budget, micro budget kind of horror film, like you'd see back in the day. Uh, and then uh, for the Stowaway, we wanted to try a, a, a much more broad mystery. Uh, can we write a mystery? So I think a lot of what drives us is challenging ourselves to and our fan base to evolve with us as we move on. Uh, but but at the end of the day, I just wanted a great idea. You know, I think the next one we're going to write is horror. Uh, then we have the children's books coming out and stuff like that. But uh, so with the stowaway, uh, what led to the idea was we had a meeting with uh, our publisher from St. Martin's Press that's doing the stowaway. And we, we were at lunch 
And the, uh, the, the editor said to me, I, I said to him, like you would often do in a TV pitch meeting, I said, what are you guys looking for? I, you know, I, we can create ideas about anything. And, you know, the guys and I on Jokers, we do an impractical Jokers cruise every year where we have like 5,000 fans join us for a week-long vacation in the Caribbean on a cruise ship. We take over the, the entire Norwegian. Well, after this book comes out, that cruise is going to go to shit. Nobody's going to be out there with you. Well, the cruise, the, yeah, the cruise has been on pause for the past year anyway. But, you know, so we've done like four or five of these cruises where there's thousands of fans with us for a week in the Caribbean. It's a lot of fun and ab- absolutely batshit crazy, right? So, uh so I thought about the, the publisher said, you know, um, there's no, we've never had like anything written. He says to me, he goes, we've never had like a book. I think there's an opportunity for like some kind of like exciting, like thriller on a, on a cruise ship. I said, huh? And over lunch, I said, let me think about this. And I thought about the Joker's cruise and I've thought about something I've often thought about on cruises, which is when you're on a cruise ship in the middle of the Atlantic and it's, and there's no moon out, it is terrifying. It's soul-crushing, existential kind of fear you fear you feel because you look out at the vastness of the ocean and realize how the cruise ship, while it seems big, is so insignificant, and it, it is so easy to fall overboard. And if you do, you're gone, and they will never, ever, ever find you. And I think about it every time I'm on a cruise ship, and I look over the railing, I'm like, this is terrifying so i i said to him i spontaneously spontaneously said to the uh publisher i was like what if we do a cruise uh, serial killer on a cruise ship and he stopped and he goes i've never heard of that idea before i was like i don't think it's ever been done i turned it down in my car i was like has that been done and he goes i don't know i've never heard of it either i was like because think about it on a cruise ship the security force is certainly not capable of handling a serial killer. Somebody that is methodical, has thought through it, knows the ship probably better than they do. With that kind of knowledge and and forethought, they are not equipped to handle that kind of situation. And you almost have like... um, a perfect storm of, of just people that are confined and trapped with someone who at this point has planned all of his or her movements around the ship. It, it's, uh, it's claustrophobic. It's terrifying. Uh, it, 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 the security forces could easily be overwhelmed. They're not trained to handle a serial killer. Absolutely not. So I was like, this could be a perfect storm of, 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 um, you know, things happening at the same time. And, uh, and so we ran with it and literally Darren and I took the subway back to my uh, apartment in the city back then. And in the span of the subway ride created the, the basic framework of what a serial killer on a cruise ship would be like. And then of course we had to do the hard work, which is we had to dig in and figure out who Wyatt Butler is, what, it, what drives him, what literally makes him tick. And we worked on lots of different, um, ideas. And then ultimately, um, uh, I, I never liked the idea of a serial killer who has no motive, even though that is fairly terrifying. I, I, I was like, I don't know. It doesn't feel like him to me. So um, we came up with this idea of he's a watchmaker and uh, he has just uh, absorbed his industry so much. It, 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 him being a watchmaker is 
the perfect uh, symbol of of the way his brain thinks. He he's obsessed with, and I think obsessed is probably the key word with the orderly logical flow of time and the predictability of the movements if you will of uh, the the uh, the mechanisms inside a watch and the hands of a watch you, the, things should move in this precise order and when he's that honed in on a watch and the, the inner workings of it it's a perfect uh, symbol for who he is and how his brain works and therefore anything in his life that he finds illogical or things that break that orderly flow he gets obsessed with and who is the most uh disorderly uh uh illogical folks on the planet children or ap- act absolutely illogically you know uh so that's why he's honed in on them uh, and that's how why i was committed all these atrocities you know so that, that's that's kind of where it came from the idea i'll tell you what i and i'm, I'm not going to spoil it for the listeners but the kid on the basketball court. Yes, I don't think. I, oh, I was on the. I don't think you're spoiling it. I was on the airplane yesterday reading that, and I'm like, oh, I got to put this down. No, let's just tease it. We'll leave it at that. Um, but but I'm telling you, yeah. I mean, look, Steve and I have both seen shit you, you never want to see in your life ten times yeah. over, and you, you would never want anybody else to see. And so when we're reading this, you know, one just to give you a quick prop, one of the hallmarks of authenticity is when I looked, when I sit there and I go motherfucker that's when it's got my attention it's like this this guy's on my radar now Wyatt yeah um who was there anybody that became the model and and I will tell you one of the interesting things we did episode 13 uh, of our podcast we had Dave Reichert uh, the investigator of the Green River Killer this is a guy who met Gary Ridgway who killed 49 what convicted of 49 pled to two more he also met Ted Bundy. He got to shake Ted Bundy's hand. I mean, and you sitting here thinking about our tagline for the podcast is "Evil is coming." Yeah, and and so who it, was there? Anybody that you thought of that kind of inspired you when you really you, know, you kind of modeled it after? Was there anybody or a collection of folks that you said Wyatt Butler? If he was going to be somebody in real life, he'd be more like these guys. Was there anybody Whoa. like that? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I don't want to give too much away. Uh, uh, if you haven't read the book, because you, it is worth uh, discovering this on your own. It is. But uh, there is a certain um, amount of uh, Ted Bundy in there, it, it, in so much as, you know how Ted Bundy kind of was able to physically transform himself, uh, you know, throughout his yep. career, if you will. Uh, there is that, that element, which... Uh, you know, Morgan, I know that you you probably know from having finished. And uh, Steve Murph, I don't know if you've gotten there yet, but I don't because I don't want to ruin that surprise for the reader because um, I won't tell you who the killer is. Why Butler is the serial killer at the beginning of the book, and one of the ways he gets out of the one of the ways they have a mistrial is because he was during that trial he was able people nobody could come up eyewitnesses couldn't come up with a good physical description of him, and that was the issue too with Bundy. He could be disarmingly charming. Yeah, he could you know put a cast on or have something else. A lot of these folks do a little bit of that to change it. But no, I, I liked I liked your setup too. And I liked the way it starts off with a trial because that is one of the most intense things when you, I've been involved in those trials where they've come back. They said, hey, the judge gives them instructions, go back and work on a verdict. I think we came close to having a homicide in a jury trial one time about a homicide because <laughs> oh, yeah. the jury was about ready to kill each other. Yeah. 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 We, we start with the trial of Wyatt Butler uh, and then, yeah, Correct. One of the key details is that no witness can verify what he looks like uh, in any of these uh, in this crime spree where he's uh, kind of murdered a number of children or he's accused to murder a number of children. So he goes free uh, and they and then 
I won't tell you who the actual killer is because you'll keep guessing until the end who it is. Uh, by the way, how cool is these? We just put together. You, uh, my wife and I are obsessed with uh, these murder mysteries in a box. You know, have you ever heard yeah. of these? We yes. do them all the time. I'll tell you what we do. We get like we open like two bottles of wine. We get our our, our uh, highlighters and some pens, and we just dive into it. And that's one of our nights, and we we love it. Uh, there are better ones and not as good ones, but I put one together for the stowaway. I put together a. Uh, it'll be in an actual envelope, like a, uh, a police envelope, when they come in in about a week. But we put together crime dossiers. Uh, and you can track, we've got the suspect list, we've got uh, security reports, incident reports, interviews with the different suspects in there, there's clues, there's maps of the ship, uh, the uh, New York Times article about the case and things like that. Cool, that cool? that's very cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like 30, 40 pages of material, and, it, it, and if you are very, very astute, when you're reading the crime dossier, you will be able to figure out the ending before you actually get to the ending of the book. So it's pretty cool, right? That that's a great addition. I, I checked out your Instagram last yeah. night and saw you talking about that, and I thought, damn, why why didn't we think about that? I know it's like 30, 40 pages of material, including it's just so so cool. We got maps of where everything happened on the ship, and you know the points of interest and different ra you know uh, uh, radio transcripts. People want to live vicariously, and they can live vicariously. They don't have to get involved to be involved. And but it's like I've always wanted to be a detective. You know, we've heard that before, but it's like people go. Yeah, but this is great because you suck them in with that. They feel like they're part of the case. And I got to tell you, one of the things Murph and I do for our Patreon uh, channel uh, at Game of Crimes is we do a case of the month. And so I did one. Uh, he's doing one coming up. And then when I was back visiting home, um, where we, I came from originally, um, I pulled. I had them pull some of my old homicide cases. And when I started looking, same thing, you start looking at that and you start revisiting it and you go, Man, this this tells a story from the affidavit, you know, to the uh, witness statements, to and you see you start seeing you look at it from two eyes. What does a prosecutor think? What does a defense attorney think? How do you poke holes in your own case? And so yeah. I love the fact that you add a kit to this, and people can now. And you know what? For a small fee, Murph and I are willing to instruct these people on how to become <laughs> professional. Oh yeah, they can run ideas by us. We'll, we'll shoot them. There down you go. That's great. That's great. I got one question for you about your publisher. So St. Martin's Press. Uh, is, are you working with Mark Resnick by any chance as your editor? Uh, no, uh, no, we, um, we work with, uh, so Michael Homler is our editor, uh, at St. Martin's. Yeah. yeah. That's, our book Manhunters went through St. Martin's press. I love them. I mean, those guys are phenomenal. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. They're great. We've had a good, uh, you know, I mean, uh, uh, it was their idea. The very last chapter of the book was actually, uh, my editor's idea, which I now love. And I can't imagine the book without it, but, uh, Morgan, you know, the, uh, it, it ends in a way that, um, that you could see m more cases happening in the future. Yeah. A lot of good twists. We don't, again, we're going to, uh, cause I am not going to be responsible in your millions of fans to say, right. Yeah. Screwed it for everybody. He yeah. told me what happened. I hate his guts, <laughs> you know? And then no, but I'm, but I'm telling you from a, from a professional standpoint, when you read it and you go through it and it's like, you look at things, you say, is it plausible? You know, that's the first thing you go. And then, because it has to have at least some, what they call verisimilitude, you know, is there at least a kernel of believability in that? And that's, that's what I liked about yours is that it wasn't this, uh, you know, Martians landing on the earth, you know, like your bug stuff, right? But it was like, could this, could this happen? And when the answer is yes, this could happen, that's what gives it that, you know, believability.
Yeah, well, that's that's that goes back to that scene you're talking about. I, I'm not giving any too much away. Uh, when we have the book launch next Tuesday on Zoom, I'm going to read this chapter. But there is a scene in the book where uh, it's like 11, 12 o'clock at night and a child is uh, playing basketball uh, alone uh, on the basketball court in the back of the ship. And uh, it's actually the ship is designed after the Impractical Jokers cruise ship, by the way. So that's the map and everything. So the basketball court at night is completely empty. I've seen it with my own eyes. And uh, it's right on the edge of the Rantling. And so the uh, the uh, whoever the killer is on board uh, befriends this child and uh, goes to lift him up to take a shot so he can dunk the, dunk the um, basketball and instead carries him to the edge of the railing and pushes him uh, overboard uh, into the Atlantic Ocean halfway between. And that was my motherfucker yeah. moment right there. When he that did was. that, I went, uh, it was like. See, you had me at that point, too. Good setup, but the minute I didn't see that, I thought I could see stuff coming. I didn't see that coming. And when that happened, I was like, okay, I'm on a plane. Only one air conditioner's working. I'm flying from Northern yeah. Virginia to Michigan. It's hot as hell. I don't give a shit. I'm plowing. I, I got to figure out what goes on. That, and that's the one I was talking about when I when I read that on the plane yesterday. I'm in, I flew down to Orlando, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. I've got four kids and five grandkids. I'm thinking, shit, I got to put this down. For it's one of those scenes. We try this in every book. We try to come up with moments that stick with you as a reader, that movie moments, essentially, you know. Uh, it, 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 there's uh, one case. Let me find her name before I say it. You know, too, and while you're looking there, when I was reading that, so you're halfway between, you know, you're halfway through your cruise, and then a murder's discovered. I'm thinking, I'm on the airplane thinking, who has in venue here? Because that's one of the things you have to establish to prosecute yeah. somebody is where who has yeah. venue, who has authority over that area. Yeah, I mean, and I still haven't figured that out, but maybe it's yeah, and it's also like you know, nobody can reach the middle middle Atlantic. You can't take a chopper out there; it's too far, and so you just got to plow ahead. And see what happens, you know, but there's a case of um, uh, people fall overboard on cruise ships all the time. Right. Uh, it happens every year. People die and then they kind of sweep it under the rug because but the odds of being rescued are very, very slim. It's just you can't survive in the ocean that long. You know, by the time they stop the ship, send out search boats, it's just there's no way, As, especially given the temperature of the, uh, of the water in the North Atlantic, which is not possible. Um, so uh, there's this uh, we, we took that inspiration from in 2006. There was a woman named Tammy Grogan. This is a real case. She was on a carnival cruise line and um, she was drinking with her friends and family. They're on board. And uh, then she was just gone. No one knows what happened to her. This, she just disappeared uh, like out of thin air. And uh, they, uh, this is 2006. There's, there's no video footage of it. They have video footage of her, you know, drunk and she's part of their friends. And then some of the friends, it, it, there's a case is so mysterious. If you, there's been lots of docs on it, on news broadcasts, things like that, uh, about um, just to help the pecu peculiarities of the case. Uh, because she, um, like two of her friends, don't ha have no memory the night before. So were they drugged? Was it was staff involved? Like, I love that idea that it's just so easy on a cruise ship to disappear. Absolutely. Well, that is until you have your next cruise and you say, hey, guys, come on on our cruise. Yeah, well, show you how easy it is to disappear. Yeah. <laughs> Not on the Practical Jokers cruise. It's very safe. Very safe. <laughs> We're very safe. Hey, I got to ask you a question about your protagonist, uh, Maria uh, Fontana. And 
so why, you know, first of all, I'm glad one of the things, like I said, Murph and I've done, we've brought uh, several women onto the podcast because they've got some awesome stories. And a lot of times people think serial killer, you got to have some, you know, sturdy white male, you know, to be the lead. But you've got Maria Fontana being from Columbia. And Columbia is where? In New York. So uh, there's another tie-in, right? Yeah. So what led you to saying, hey, I think we need a female, this would be a good person to be our protagonist, you know, our main character in the story? We we wanted to create someone that could out that could do two things that could outsmart the killer uh, because of her instincts and her training and uh, two could bear the brunt of the the media swarm that was coming down on the jurors and that that's I, I don't want to give that hook away there's a big twist at the end. Uh, about uh, the actual jury itself and the trial itself from two years earlier that I won't give away. It's one of those aha moments in the book. Uh, but we, we, we think about, we created Maria first, you know, we, as this strong character that uh, is incre- incredibly accomplished, that she's the kind of person you would want to um, go f- face-to-face with the serial killer, because I believe that she has it in her to outsmart the, the asshole, right? So we created her character first, and then we thought about the killer, and then we created him, and then we saw how their worlds intersected. I, I don't know, she just, um, I wanted somebody incredibly smart, somebody that could, um, could figure out the mystery and stop the killer before he struck again, you know? Because there is a, yeah, there's certainly a mystery here to be unraveled. That has the stones to stand up to him, just like she did with the author of the book there in the beginning, yeah. where she went and confronted him when he was releasing his book and he was doing the autographing and all that. That was pretty cool, too. I, I also it's like a good book. It's very compelling. Thanks, man. I also like how, um, even though she has uh, incredible inner strength and obviously is very accomplished and ambitious and, and smart with her career, in her career, I also like that even she miscalculated the the absolute media storm that would happen when when she bared the brunt of coming out as being the juror that that voted to acquit him two years earlier uh I, like i love that even even given all of her accomplishments she's still miscalculated and you could only imagine when she when she comes out as being the juror in the beginning that that voted to acquit him if that was any other juror that had done that, they probably would have been crushed or maybe committed suicide, God forbid, or what have you. And, and it's only with her strength that she's able to pull through. And it, she, it almost broke her. If it almost broke her, what would it have done to all the other jurors that, that couldn't have taken it in the heat, so to speak? I don't want to read a book to where the character never has a problem. They have perfect skin. You know, they're Fabio. You know, as I, I want, I like books to where there are flaws. In, in every hero, there has to be flaws. And I liked her flaw, too. And what I really liked about that, too, was I love the psychological part, especially of law enforcement, of interviewing people, of figuring things out. And I liked her approach to that. Um, was this based on any... Uh, things that you might have done in your childhood that you want to talk about and confess to on a podcast that Steve and I can help you work through right now. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, we I, might have to get a beer or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's not. It's just purely. <laughs> that wasn't a quick denial. That was like, a, well, I, I, you know, I mean, in there. look, I've been naked on TV. I've been thrown out of airplanes. I've, you know, got my, I, I, I've been mortified on TV for 11 years. So there's lots of things I might, you know, be stupid <laughs> dealing with in my life. I'm trying to work through it on my own, you know, <laughs> oh, but I appreciate the offer for, for, for psychological help, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're here. 
We're here for you. Help us. Very good. Your, your um, prescription will be written out on a bar napkin, but uh, it works. It still works. I got a guy that can make that happen. It's okay. <laughs> oh, we we all got guys who can. We got a guy in New Jersey who can make shit happen. Oh, yeah. The guy who actually brought down the Iceman, Richard Kukinski, yeah. Dominic Polifer. Yeah, wow. He's in New Jersey. You guys know the coolest yeah. people. Seriously. Well, hey, uh, we got you on the show. Look at this. Nah, right. not me. I'm saying you, you, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm a monkey that dances on TV. You guys know real people <laughs> that you know real people that do real things and bring down very bad people. You know, that's an amazing. Yeah. Well, I'll take some of that monkey money. Don't, just, yeah. if, if you don't got stuff, PayPal. you don't like to send it our What's way. our PayPal address? He can send a check. There you go. <laughs> Game of Crimes podcast. <laughs> um, hey, I want to get to uh, one of the things, because I'm fascinated. Like I said, I'm, I'm one of those frustrated authors, but I've been working on one. It's To me, it's a really cool plot. It's about a detective whose past is a CIA case officer. It's clandestine, so he's got these really cool skills. And I know one of the biggest things, it's just the discipline to get stuff done. I mean, dude, you've got, dude, here I, I sound like a guy we just interviewed, Chris Feistel. Chris was actually, we got an episode coming out with the guy who actually helped bring down the Cali cartel. It was season three. Of See, Narcos. you and know the was, coolest was, people. Uh, <laughs> you know, the king and I hate name yeah. droppers, uh, you know, but, uh, but you are so damn busy. How do you? Walk us through the routine. How do you put together a book in a year? Because you got books coming out in 2018, 2019, 2020, 21. You've got Impractical Jokers. You've got uh, The Misery Index. You've got, I mean, a movie. I mean, do you sleep? Are you using meth? I mean, what's no your No meth, no drugs of any kind. Uh, occasional can of soda once a day or so. Uh, no, uh, I, 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 I think... Keep in mind, like the way our conversation began, uh, I've wanted my whole life to do these things. You know, I've wanted my whole life to be a comedian. I've wanted my whole life to tour the country and the world performing. I've wanted my whole life to write a, write books. So I'm at a point in my life where I can do these things. And God damn it, I want to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're when you love what you're doing, you just want to do it. So the the, the writing of the books that, that's it's it's hard as shit. It really is. You guys know it, it's hard as shit. The easy part is coming up with the idea, I think. And the, the first three days where Darren and I or my, the, the, my other books, uh, Carson and I, the first three days when we're just sitting locked in a room focusing, trying to figure out character, plot, dig, you know, the plot holes and the workarounds and every problem that we see and then writing the summary of the book. The, that's a lot of fun. That's pure just, you know coming up with the ideas and seeing and those movie moments and uh and what interests us then the hard part happens when when we have to write the damn thing you know uh that's the act of creation is inherently painful you know uh because it's so much easier to drink some santa margarita white wine with my beautiful wife and watch narcos <laughs> you know what i mean it's go. just now so much easier to, to watch a tv show and you know, but it's a, it's, it's a lot harder to, to create, but, um, but gosh, I tell you, man, there's no better feeling. It happened, uh, the other day, uh, the publisher sent me two cases of, of the stowaway and, uh, and you guys know this, you know, you, I have the same feeling in multiple parts of my career. I get on stage performing, uh, in front of, we, we go on stage, there's thousands of people there laughing and that feeling is uh, incomparable uh when i see the tv show on tv uh i'm like holy shit that's pretty cool that we were on tv um when uh when i open the case of books that come in from the publisher and i put it on the shelf and i see this growing collection i sent uh our manager a picture the other day um which uh it'll be a slight spoiler 
but I won't show it entirely, but I just got the new book cover. So I'll give a little flash, but I don't want fans to grab it, but well, no, we, we won't show the audio. Oh, this God. Is just gonna, or well, we there you go. The video. This is just oh, okay. Audio, great. So, so uh, you, you guys at home don't yeah. know this, but I'm showing the book cover for area 51 interns, the new kids book coming out in there oh. next year. But man, I tell you, as the shelf gets bigger with books, I'm like, that's excuse my, can I curse? Yeah, we've we okay. already done it. Fucking that's, no. that, that is no. fucking cool. You know, that's such a cool feeling. Like it, it, you sweat and you're, you're, the lit, nights are late and then you, then you get the books and you're like, like at the end of the day, it's real. It exists. Isn't that all any of us want is to be real and to increase something that exists. And, and, and many years from now, when no one remembers Impractical Jokers uh, and the libraries have all burnt down or what have you, this will still exist in some form or other that's fucking cool there you go you know what you know what Murr, after i retired from dea I'm, you know i thought i was going to be busy with the with the narco series and you know the writers are so damn much smarter than i yeah. am they didn't need our help you know we told them our stories and and they were they're phenomenal by the way yeah but anyway i got home and i'm getting bored because the wife's still working she's a, a nurse and i thought you know what i'm going to write a book about the escobar story so yeah. i sat down the kitchen table for like six hours one day and I'm just pounding away, pounding away and I closed the computer and I got up the next morning and read it and I thought, what a crock of shit. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing coherent about this at all. (laughs) Yeah, but you, you hit the bestseller list, right? You hit, well, here's what we, no, we didn't, but, uh, and here's, you know, Murphy's law. You've heard of Murphy's law. That's sure. Our book comes out the same week that the first impeachment trial for Trump's going on. So the media canceled us. We're in New York City for all the morning shows. Everybody canceled us. Even Fox canceled us. I couldn't believe it. So, uh, you know, Murphy's Law steps in. But it was still, you know, it's it's led to so many other things. And, and I'm, you know, I was joking a while ago and I said, look, we got you on the show. That's no joke, man. How uh, the hell would we have ever met you if it weren't for all this coming together? Where do you, where do you guys live? We should get together. We're in Northern Virginia. Whereabouts? What 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 town? Loudoun County, just right outside of uh, Dulles International Airport, uh, about thirty five miles north and west of DC. Yeah, I, I know it well, I, and I know Loudoun well too. Uh, you know, I, I lived in DC for four years. Well, yeah, you were at Georgetown. Did did you live in DC when you were going to Georgetown proper? I live I lived in DC, but my whole family lives in Virginia. So uh, my my two sisters are down there, They're a little further south. One's in Richmond, the other in Norfolk, but she was in Charlottesville for many years. And I just recently moved my parents down to. Uh, Richmond too. So I'm down there all the time. So we should, uh, as I'm passing through DC at some point, gentlemen, let's have lunch or something. You have to hurry. Cause I'm moving to Orlando. Well, okay. <laughs> He's going to okay. fly back to have lunch with you. Trust me. So okay. absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, real quick too. I, I, Steve hates this when I do this, but I always love the trivia stuff. So you're doing the area 51. Do you know where Area 51 came from? Do I know where Area 51 came from? I do. Um, gosh. I know this answer. This is Jeopardy. I know. You know, you know I, I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Hey, I don't hate this. This is good stuff. Remind me. Remind me. But I did. I do know this. But yeah. Obviously, there's classified stuff. Groom Lake is where they tested out. You know everything from the stealth bombers, uh, the skunk works. But the Atomic Energy Commission used to map out these grids, and they were energy grids. And so Area 51 was an old designation for the Atomic Energy Commission energy grid, and that's where Groom Lake and that's where Area 51 was inside of was inside of this area grid. So, you know, they've just kept it. The CIA has done stuff out there. But uh, no, I'm always fascinated too because when you do stuff like that, I, and when we talk about stuff, there's always so much history behind somebody. Says, 
said, there's a name here. Well, what does that name mean? Sure. You know, what is the history behind it? And no, but I love the Area 51 because most people don't know the origin of it, but it just envisions this mystery, aliens, government cover-up. I mean, I saw Independence Day. I know there's aliens in Area 51. <laughs> of course there are. Of course there are. <laughs> you know, the, the name came about because they, they named areas by number, and when they got to 50, the next one was 51. I mean, how hard is that, Morgan? Come well, on, for you, Murphy, you can't count that high. He's from West Virginia. He gets to 10 and runs out of toes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever you got to do. Whatever you got to do. Hey, James, we have kept you for just about our allotted time, and so what we want to do is let's close out this. First of all, Murph and I want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. I mean, for you to Absolutely. carve out an hour. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Thank you guys. To take this time. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, you've got the book coming out. Um, I need to ask you one question. I don't want to give away anything, but um, Maria doesn't seem to me like a one-off. Will you revisit Maria in the future? So that's the last chapter of the book. I would love to. Uh, I, I think there's more to be told here because after her experience in the stowaway, uh, I think she's in a really unique position to help other people out with their particular cases. And I think that uh, we built her like a Clary Starling, you know what I mean? Uh, like a new version of Clary Starling that um, it, uh, it, even more, hello, <laughs> hello Clary. You know, I, I, but she's less qualified in a way, but more qualified in another. Like she's not an FBI agent, but she's been through this unbelievable experience and has come out on top. And I think her tale continues. I think she will continue on in subsequent books to help uh, people that are going through something on their own, whether it be a murder or a serial killer case. I, I think there's more to, to be had here for sure. And uh, by the way, uh, I will do a little plug for a moment. Uh, so uh, we do something kind of cool. Uh, next Tuesday, the 21st, uh, the book comes out in stores. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are had. Uh, but also, I, I produce, and I'm doing all in-person book signings uh, as well uh, around New York, Connecticut, New Jersey. Uh, and the coolest thing I think we do is we, when does this come out, by the way? I don't know if it's- This is going to come out on Monday. We, oh. We're turning this around fast, Pat. Oh my gosh, awesome, thank Thursday, you. coming out on the Monday, the 20th. And like I said, we will launch you into stardom. When it hits, <laughs> when our podcast hits, your sales will go through the roof. All 18 of our <laughs> listeners will be in there. You know, I, I'll take it. It, it doesn't, uh, gentlemen, I, 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 it's been an honor, honor with being with you. We bumped the Boston Marathon bombing episode for you. My friend is Ed Davis, the commissioner of the Boston police. That was coming out Monday. But when your folks came to us and said, hey, this is coming out and the book's coming out Tuesday, we drop on Monday. We dropped everything and we said, MERS the I, I, The information, by the way, you realize didn't quite get to me right. So they, they said to me, <laughs> what was said to me, yesterday was you're going to be on the boston marathon episode and i said i said wait wait hold on there's nothing funny about i was like that. hold on guys i was like i said to nicole i was like wait am i they want me to talk about the boston marathon i don't i it was a terrible event i don't want to be on that episode and she goes no 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 no, no. and then she explained she she backtracked she goes no no, no, no. it's they, they they're not it's not the boston marathon episode i was like okay thank god because it was a terrible tragedy so I don't, <laughs> yeah. you know but okay good 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 so there you go we figured it out People can go also on, uh, on is it MerLive.com? Yes. Uh, so uh, on Tuesday, the 21st, which would be tomorrow if you're listening to this, uh, uh, we have the book launch. 
Uh, we do a virtual book launch uh, in front of, you know, hundreds of thousands of fans. Uh, you go to murlive.com uh, to get a ticket. It's just the cost of one book. You get to come to the virtual book launch on Zoom. Uh, there'll be some celebrity guests on the, on the, uh, on, at the book launch as well. Uh, we read a chapter. We give away lots of prizes. Uh, and then there's an after party where we get to ask a question that you'd like of Darren and I. We dance, we get a little drunk. Uh, and then we all have all sorts of different promotions like the crime dossier you can get by going to uh, Murr Live as well. And you can see all of my in-person appearances uh, next week. Uh, I'm in the Strand Bookstore. I'll be in Philadelphia signing books. I'll be at uh, Books and Greetings in Northville, New Jersey, uh, all this week, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, and you can go to meetmur.com in order to meet me in person to get your book signed. And then next weekend, this weekend coming up, is my one-year anniversary, so I'm not signing any books on Yay. Saturday or Sunday. I'm sorry. Woohoo! All right. I did it. You know they you know they say the first year the first year of marriage is always the hardest and I made it through. Yeah, right. Hey, all right. Yeah. Special lady. Let me tell you, we're going on 35 years and somebody says, How did you manage that long? I said, I'm lucky because she could have killed me, been out in 15 years with good <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Absolutely true. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely true. She's talked to me about taking care of you occasionally, but yeah. don't tell her yeah. I said that. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 yeah. We all got a guy in Jersey that can take we care do. of us. We got it. a guy in Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, and last thing <laughs> too, um, give us a tease. Any big, pro other than the books, anything big coming out related to Impractical Jokers or another movie? What's on the horizon? And that people can look forward to. We uh, we are back at work. Uh, we are filming uh, the r the remaining few episodes of season nine right now. Uh, we start filming season ten in January. Uh, we celebrate 10 years of, we've been filming the show for 11 years, but this December 15th will be our 10 year anniversary of being on television with, uh, 300 episodes of the show. It's crazy. Uh, and, uh, what is going on? The guys and I are back on tour. We just announced our Scoopsy Patatas tour. Uh, we're playing 40 arenas around the country. Uh, probably an arena near you starting this November. Uh, and I'm very excited to be back on stage with the guys. And then I, I'm performing live. I do my own solo stand-up shows as well. Uh, Murr Live. Uh, I, I'm playing, um, gosh, where am I coming up to? I'm playing uh, all over the country. Uh, just go to... Uh, just put your name into the Google search thing, the internet. It's a great invention. Al Gore's amazing internet will help you find Murr wherever he is at. It's like it's like the comedian Tom Segura. His his tours. I'm coming everywhere. Tour. Uh, and I'm that's so uh, yeah. I'm all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming. Yeah, that's a great title for a tour. I'm coming everywhere too. Yeah. <laughs> we again. We want to thank you. We want to just be respectful of your time. But look, th this has been fun. Uh, we've never had a real comedian, uh, you know, on the show before. So and and, and you still haven't. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, look, we deal with the guys too from Small Town Murder. We have to give them a shout out for help setting this up. Sarah, uh, James Petragallo, Jimmy Wisman. So th these guys are killing it with Small Town Murder, and they did something unique too. They started off as comedians and they started talking about Small Town Murders as only a comedian could they don't make fun of the victims of uh, just you know just yeah. the assholes and the thing so hey no we, we want to say thank you to those guys thank you to uta for everybody for doing this but hey first but most of all congrats on the book look yes. you passed the murder and morgan test it's like okay it's believable all right we didn't shit on it we're not going to crap on it we like you know the the there are some books we won't do but the, the yours is i think that's why i was asking when i see a character like that i think maria will be and I'm glad she's not an FBI agent, not anything against the FBI. You want that different point of view, that unique perspective. And it's great that you guys did that. So, hey, congrats on it. Congrats on the book. Congrats on Thank the Thank you, guys. Congrats what do you on think, the show. Morgan? Let's give it an meter rating here. 
Yeah, let's. Hey, we got to put you through our patented narcometer. We rate everything on believability, okay. authenticity, and accuracy. So um, I will give you a. Uh, I would say for. Of, you know, overall, I'm going to give it a nine. The reason I can't give it a 10 is because I'd have to give it a 10. I'd have to tell people why I give it a 10 and that would give away the ending. So what I will do is I Got will it. preemptively give you a nine right now. And after the book comes out, I will tell people why I give it a 10. How's that? Now, now, of course, you realize the score is out of 100 on the narco meter, so <laughs> that's not very, it's not very good. Kilos. You rated that's nine right. kilos okay, yeah. on the book. Um, nine kilos, I'll take it. Preempt, this is nine, because if I told people why it gets 10, I'd give away the secret. So we'll give you a 10 on September 22nd. Okay, you know very good. Murr, I'm going to give you a 10, and everybody, you got to wait. All our players, you got to wait. We want you to get the book out there first. It's phenomenal. You uh, can't put okay, it down. We'll put the link on our site. We'll put it out on everything. So, hey, Murr, get Stole back to away. making it. And I got to tell you this. If you ever decide to make us the target of a joke, you know, or get us involved yeah. in stuff, you got to remember, we know people who make people really disappear for a living. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I know. I, I know not to mess with you, gentlemen. That's that's why I did this podcast was because I, I got threatened <laughs> to do right. it. So I, it, it wasn't my choice. I know not to get on your bad side. Yeah. Right? on other big names to get them on Mur Murph. You know, we'll just we'll have to figure out what it is. But hey, look again. Thank you very much. Go crush it. Good luck on the book. Um, we'll be excited to see you. And who knows? Maybe somebody might sneak into one of your book signings and. Uh, race holy hell just like maria did there you go well, I, we'll see i hope not yeah i hope not but we'll see <laughs> anyways gentlemen a pleasure to meet you both i will meet you all uh, at panera for lunch in northern virginia maybe around two o'clock is that good yeah there absolutely. you go we'll be there so, yeah okay great i'll see you there all right guys take it easy okay guys everybody hang on we're gonna be right back Wow. We are going to be famous, Steve. That's all I can say. We are going to be famous. <laughs> Murr, we owe it all to you, brother. That's right, It baby. couldn't have been any better. Uh, anything you want at Panera, it's on us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm a member of the coffee club there, so I'll sneak you a cup of coffee. It won't cost you anything. It's on me. That's damn, that's damn right, man. And I'll get you a roll to go. So when you go down to Richmond to visit your parents or your sister in Norfolk, uh, you know, uh, those guys down there, you'll have, you'll, I'll get you a pecan roll. Those are good out of there too. I was going to say you can gnaw on a baguette all the way down there. And some of those as tough as those are, you'd be gnawing on for a <laughs> I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> this was fun. I mean, this was like, you know, we've, it's not, we don't often get impressed because we have talked to people, we've done things, you know, we've met, you know, lots of folks. But what's impressive about James is how humble he is about what he's done. He doesn't come across as the big star with a lot of needs. He just got on and recorded with us. No, you know, no, he didn't say, what are the questions? My publicist has to be on, you know, this or whatever else. This dude was not high maintenance at all. He was like, a, a real just down-to-earth New Jersey kid. You know, he's a Jersey boy um, and just got on. And But what I really like, we had some moments of levity, some fun. We almost got him to admit his childhood. He was a serial killer in his childhood. That's what was the... <laughs> yeah, we might have had to edit that out if that had come out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we're going to have to turn this in, you know. But And I think his kit for the book, that you know, the 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 the, the dossier, you know, and the, and the crime kit, everything that's going with it, that that is really cool to go with a book. That That is not, not that it's unique, but not enough people do that. They don't get you involved beyond the book. Yeah. yeah. And you talk about a whodunit. This is a real whodunit. 
you know, and that's the reason we brought him on the show here. I mean, one, because he asked us to and he's famous and we're not. But I mean, the other is it's, it's just phenomenal that I just never expected somebody like him to come up with these books like this. The uh, it was it's spooky. I got to tell you, the, the, the book there, I read one part with the kid in the playing basketball on the back deck of the ship. And I had to put the uh, I had to put my laptop down while I was reading that one and just uh, relax for a minute. I got tensed up. Oh yeah, that was you know, cops have a soft spot for kids, and that was one of those when I saw that I'm like, okay, motherfucker, I'm oh, in. Yeah. I'm <laughs> after you. If you don't get him, I will. Okay, so the but you better get him in this book because I'm getting ready to go active again. You know, and I'm going to get my gear and we're going to gear up and we're going to go find this guy. That's it. And you and you guys check it out the stowaway. By James Murray. I mean, you know who he is already. Some of you guys, we put some stuff on our fan page on Facebook, and some of you guys already knew who he was, responding, I can't wait to hear him. This guy's fantastic. So you got to check out his book. You know if he's good on, on TV and on radio and all the crazy stuff he does. You know his book's going to be good. Yes, it is going to be good. So, hey, guys, that's what we got for you. Uh, we hope you enjoyed. This was a little bit of a deviation from our norm, but we think it fit really well. It was about evil. Is, it definitely, on this one, evil is coming. It's called The Stowaway. Out wherever you find books, go to his uh, website, murmurlive.com. And he's got tickets to his events. You know, he's got other stuff coming up. So make sure you guys check it out. And we'd really want to thank Murr and all of his folks and all of our folks over at UTA and Upside Down Digital Network, especially Sarah Hunt, for Yay. helping us get this thing pulled together. She rocks. Yes, she does. Love you, Sarah. All right. Well, hey, guys. Head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com for more information about this show. Again, go to Apple Podcasts. We know it's magic. It's like Disney. Five stars helps us get there and expand this and share the gift of Game of Crimes with all of your friends. It really helps. Uh, on Patreon, go to Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. Murph's got a good case coming up, case of the month. We've got the, the Real DEA Narcos on The Real DEA Narcos. Episode 5 will be coming out really soon. We've got our Q&A. We just did a live stream with Dave Reichert from the Green River Killer episode that we did. Fantastic, folks. And then also follow us on social media, Game of Crimes on Twitter and Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram, paypal.com. Use our email, Podcast at gmail.com or paypal.me slash Crimes. Whatever it makes it easier. And Steve, we did bump this episode, so I'm going to kind of tease this episode for next week now because we had to get together and redo the whole outro like we did here because we were going to do the Boston Marathon bombing, and then this came in. So, But but no, coming up next week, a good friend of mine, Ed Davis, the former commissioner of the Boston police, he has got a really heartfelt story about the Boston uh, Marathon bombing and the intelligence around it, around you know the, the the real investigation, what is still going on, and to this day, you think about it years later, um, the recall of details of the people and how he talks about most importantly the victims, how they how they honor the victims, how they stood guard over every single victim out there until the crime scene was processed. I, I even get goosebumps right now, man, just um, thinking about the the dedication of these folks and then of course uh, they made patriots day you know the movie with mark Wahlberg about it so we have a surprising a confession about ed potentially being hired to be mark Wahlberg's personal trainer we'll see if uh, ed comes clean on that <laughs> but my but ed did get to visit mark Wahlberg's place and he goes wow well i wonder if ed will get up at two o'clock in the morning to work out <laughs> <laughs>
Not 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 happening, Marky. That's that's why Marky's makes the Marky Wahlberg money, and we're just still making Morgan and Murph money. Woohoo! God bless Mark. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey guys, but let's close this out. Close this out with saying, catch us next week. The Boston Marathon bombing. This is an episode you don't want to miss, especially about whether or not Ed Davis thinks the investigation is over or if there's still somebody out there. And make sure, make sure, make sure you go to any place that sells books. Go get the stowaway. We want to help bump. Murr up to the top of the New York Times bestseller list, and we want to make sure you guys help us get him there. That's it. That's it. We appreciate your backup here. That's right. Backup. All right, folks, everybody, thank you for playing the biggest game of all, the Game of Crimes. <laughs>